Well, the title of this message is We Four Kings, and we're going to start in Luke and chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In this passage at the beginning, we encounter the first of our kings. His name is Augustus Caesar. He was born in 63 BC. He died in AD 14. So he spanned the whole of this uh, story that we've just read, this narrative. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar, but it was adopted by him as his son and heir. And following the death of Caesar, you remember the story that Shakespeare records it, how Caesar was in the Senate and the senators turned on him, et tu brute and all that. Well, after Caesar um, was, was killed by his, his, some of his friends, Brutus and, and so on, um, there was civil war broke out. And so Augustus, as the heir of Caesar, took, took up his uh, cudgels, as it were, And he fought against Brutus, and he fought against Cassius, and he fought against Antony and Cleopatra, and he beat them all. And in BC 29, he was declared emperor by the Senate. And he started to build on what Caesar had done and build the empire of Rome. He brought in a series of taxation systems. He built roads. He restored civilian rule because it had been martial rule, ruled by the army up until that point because of the civil wars. He consolidated Caesar's conquests. He built the strength of the Roman Empire as it became. And in around 4 BC, he ordered a census of the entire Roman world, probably as part of his taxation laws. He wanted to find out how many people he had in his empire, and everyone was to be registered so that they could pay the right amount of tax. Now, we all like paying taxes, don't we? And we're all registered with the government, aren't we? (laughs) If you're not, you can confess to me afterwards. But this was the purpose of this census, was to get the taxation right, so they could maximise the revenue into the empire, and so that the empire could be built. Towards the end of his life, Augustus was declared to be a god. And he was worshipped as such. And they put statues of him all over the empire and shrines. And people would have to give homage to him. But unbeknown to this great emperor, in a tiny outpost of his empire, in difficult to rule Judea, there was a baby who was being born. Who would be a threat to everything that he had built. This baby was the one who was the ultimate king. And Augustus Caesar, unbeknown to himself, became an instrument in God's hands in order for that to be fulfilled just as the prophets had declared. 
We learn from Matthew 2.6 that the prophet Micah had declared that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in Judea. And Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth. And Mary was nine months pregnant. And they were unlikely to travel. So how was God going to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem? Well, he uses the most powerful man in the world, unbeknown to him, to command a census. And that moves them from this place in Nazareth in a, in a difficult journey down to Bethlehem just to fulfill the prophecy of Micah. God arranged for the census at just the right time for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. God used Augustus even though he had no regard for the Jewish God. God can use anyone to fulfill his purposes. And that God is still the God who rules the world, rules the universe. He's the one who has the destiny of this world in his hands. He is working out his purposes that all things might be fulfilled according to his plan and his purpose. It's our God that rules the world, not human governors, not human lords, not Donald Trump, thank goodness. Or anyone else. It's the Lord, our God, who rules this world. And this baby born in this corner of the empire was insignificant, everyone thought, compared to the god Augustus. And yet long after the collapse of the Roman Empire, the kingdom of the only true son of God, the God in human form, King Jesus, continues to grow and flourish through his church. Who is the greater king this day? Augustus came, ruled and died. Jesus our king lives forever. So that's king number one. Let's turn to Matthew and chapter two. And we'll read verses one to twelve. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had scattered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, uh, sorry, gathered all the chief priests, and he'd scattered them, and then he gathered them, uh, (laughs) of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are, you not, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down with Mary, his mother, uh, sorry, and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So our second king is Herod, known as Herod the Great. He was born in B.C. 73, 10 years before Augustus. He was 10 years old and he died in 4 B.C. So he died just around this time 
at the time of the census. So we know that Jesus was born between the census being called and between Herod dying. So it's a fairly tight window. He was the son of Antipater II. And he wasn't Jewish. He was an Edomite who married into the, the, Has, uh, the, the Hasmonean dynasty, the royal family who had taken control in, in BC 160-something. And he'd been declared governor of Judea by the Roman Senate in 36 BC. And as I say, he's named, known as Herod the Great, but we don't know why he was called the Great, because the things he did don't seem very great. Perhaps it was because of his building program. He built cities and he built towns and he built the Decapolis in northern Israel and he, and he built, built the temple. And perhaps it was because of his building works. Perhaps that's why he earned the title. But he was the most insecure monarch you can imagine. A monarch who rules out of insecurity is a dangerous thing. A boss who is insecure is a dangerous thing, as many of us will know from the workplace. He had most of his family killed, just in case they were plotting against him to overthrow him. And Augustus said of Herod, better to be Herod's dog than to be one of his sons. He was a nasty piece of work. And so when the arrival of these wise men from the east come, uh, happens, saying that a new king has been born, this was like showing a red rag to a bull. Herod was determined to destroy everything that threatened his, his rule. And so he plotted to find out where this baby was, was going to be born and to go and try and deal with this threat to his, his, his rulership. And hence, having all the babies killed in that area was nothing to him because his rule was all that mattered. But God preserved his king. And in spite of Herod and all that he would do, God ensured that Jesus was preserved in order to become the saviour of the world. The enemy through Herod attempted to destroy the Son of God. And the slaughter of the innocents is a dreadful thing. And it tells us of the lengths people will go to preserve their power. But Jesus and Jesus' kingdom, in contrast with Herod, was not a kingdom of power in that same way. It was a kingdom of love. And Jesus came to express the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so Jesus comes in complete contrast with this um, terrible ruler, Herod. And we have a better king than Herod. We don't have one that dominates. We don't have one that controls. We don't have one that, that on a whim destroys. We have a God, a king who loves us who has given himself for us, who laid down his very life for us, and came even in threat. Can you imagine what would have happened if Herod had succeeded in killing the king of the universe at that moment? And yet God, who is in control of all things, preserved his king, our king, King Jesus. This brings us to the third of the kings, who are not kings at all. The three wise men that we often call the three kings. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. Come on, traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. It's... (laughs) 
It's something we've sung from a young age. We know about them, but of course they're not kings. The word in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible is the word magi. And it's where we get our word magician from. It's the same root. Because they were men who knew the, 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 the arts, the spiritual arts as it were. They were members of the Persian religion of Zoroaster. Which had been established in the 6th century BC. Anyone know a famous Zoroastrian? Freddie Mercury. He was a Zoroastrian. Not such a wise man, perhaps. But he was of the same religion as these men. And they believed that that good and evil were absolutes represented by two gods. The god on one hand was um, Ormazd. And the god on the other hand, the evil god, was Ariman. And they were constantly at war. And Ormazd, or as we would be more familiar, uh, would be more familiar to us, Mazda. Who's got a Mazda car? <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's named after this god. That's where the name comes from. Mazda. I'm Ormazd. The followers, uh, sorry, he was the supreme being, the creator of the world in their eyes. And of course, these men studied the stars. They studied astronomy, but they studied astrology. They were wise men, and and the, the wise men and sorcerers of the book of Daniel. And the followers of Ormazd, the good God, were that were set themselves to strive for purity in thought, in word, and deed, based on a strict code of ethics. And they believed that man could attain perfection by choosing individual choice. Choosing to do good things, that they could attain perfection. The king they were looking for was a moral leader. One who would lead by example of behavior and teaching and lead them into the way of perfection. They weren't too far adrift. Perhaps Daniel's prophecies had filtered through. Daniel's prophesied of the coming of the Son of Man. Perhaps those prophecies had filtered through into their wisdom. And they came seeking a king who would bring in a reign of peace. They wanted to worship this king. We're told very clearly in the text. They wanted to worship the king who would lead them into perfection. Their instincts were right. Wise men sought Jesus. They still do. And yet they... They were just a slightly astray because the Jesus they were worshipping or they were seeking was a moral teacher, not the king of the universe. And so that brings us to the fourth king, and that is Jesus himself. Augustus knew nothing of his birth and yet was instrumental in fulfilling the prophecy. Herod tried to destroy him at his birth. The Magi looked to him for moral leadership, but Jesus wouldn't fulfill any of their role models. Jesus was a different kind of king. Before the Romans, later on in his life, before Pilate, Caesar's representative, Jesus declared, my kingdom is not of this world. Because Jesus came as the son of God to establish a new kind of kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God, where God's will might be done on earth as it's done in heaven. He wasn't usurping the human rulership. 
He was overcoming all powers and authorities in order to rule over all things. Augustus, like most people, ignored this new king because he was the supreme earthly king and a god in his own right, he thought. He was the most powerful man on earth, not knowing that his kingdom would be threatened and subsumed into the kingdom of God. If you and I are on the throne of our lives, we are our own personal God, and we ignore Jesus. But in doing so, we ignore the greatest king that ever lived, the one who came to give us relationship with God. Listen, there's only one king who can be king in our lives, and it's not us. It has to be him. Everything has to be surrendered to the king of kings. Everything has to be brought under his rulership if we are to fulfill all that God has for us and if we are to place him rightfully in our lives as the king and to worship him. The second king, Herod, is like those who know about Jesus but know that his presence is a threat to their personal security. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes everything. There can only be one king and that's him. And we must surrender completely to his lordship. And if we resist him and try to destroy his works in our lives, we will find ourselves short. If you resist Jesus, you resist God. The third of these kings, the Magi, are like those who seek Jesus as a fine moral leader and a good teacher. But that's all. Do you know even Karl Marx believed that? But what they don't realize was that God is a holy God. So that whether we sin once or 10,000 times, we are still sinners and not acceptable to God on the basis of our own righteousness. We can't work ourselves to perfection. There is only one way we can come into right relationship with God. And that's through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the laying down of his life and through the forgiveness that comes through him. God sent his son not just to show us how to live a good life, but to die on a cross to make that way open to God by, to God by taking upon himself the punishment for our sins. And this has opened up the way that we can pursue moral righteousness, not on the basis of our own strength, but on the basis of his sacrifice. So Jesus is a king who can be ignored like, like Augustus did, can be resisted like Herod did, can be respected like the Magi did. But until we come to worship him, then we miss the point of his coming. Jesus needs to be Lord of all, and he deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves our honor, and he deserves our submission in our lives. And I want to encourage you at this, this Christmas time, don't Go through this period without setting aside time to worship him as king of kings, of lord of lords, and the one who is coming to reign. Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen.